0: Welcome to the Happy Being Well podcast, where we talk about strategies and insights so you can live happy being well with your host, Rita Perugia. This podcast is presented by happybeingwell.com, your online store providing the best in all natural wellness products, such as natural essential oils, all natural bath products, all natural facial masks, all natural deodorants irresistible leggings, crystals, including crystal home decor and kitchen items, herbal teas, natural sleep aids, and so much more natural wellness goodies at happybeingwell.com. Free shipping on any order within the USA at happybeingwell.com. Now enjoy the show.
1: Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Happy Being Well. I... Honestly, this is probably, if you've never listened to an episode on the Happy Being Well podcast, or a ha- if you have, this is probably one of the most important episodes that you're going to listen to on the Happy Being Well podcast. I say that, uh, first of all, our guest is really renowned and he's pretty impressive. Um, his book is really touching on what's what everybody's talking about in terms of the conversation as we're you know where we're heading as a society as technology progresses, and basically you know what's gonna you know kind of save us as we go through and, and advances as, as technology advances and, you know, all of the issues that everyone's been t- aware of and talking about on social media, on any other forum, really. Um So the book is called the Dawn of a Mindful Universe by Marcello Glieser. um He's a renowned physicist and astronomer, and he's won the Templeton prize. Uh, which is really, really renowned because um, people like the Dalai Lama and Mother Teresa has won that prize. And he's a professor at Dartmouth College. And um, the book is really, really fascinating. Um, Marciello really, really put, did a really, really good job, you know, highlighting the, the issues, the challenges of our society and really combining his knowledge and passion to kind of enlighten The conversation and add some insight and you know, solutions. And the main premise really, which of the book is, you know, we've lost our moral mission and compassionate focus as we relate to each other and to the world. So as you've listened to podcast episodes on the Happy Being Wild podcast, we really focus on the individual. Um, and which is important. And I think that's a part of how we're going to relate to each other in the world is definitely going to come from, you know, but we always, sometimes we put so much focus on the individual. We have to have that balance, um, you know, achieving peace within, and then always recognizing that, you know, everybody else is a human being as well. And we're all kind of going through it and we need to have that compassion. Um, so Marcielo, welcome to the happy being well podcast, Marcello. Yeah.
2: Thank you. (laughs) marcelo that's okay thank you so much rita and hi everyone i'm very very happy to be here with you
1: so you know talk about first of all like what led you to write the book first off
2: yeah well you know this is a book that um well it's called the dawn of a mindful universe and the subtitle is a manifesto for the future of humanity or for humanity's future and so you know being a scientist and um knowing what's going on with our planet and with each other has been a big concern of mine and also being a father of young kids you know knowing that the world that they are going to live in is going to be very different from the world i grew up in specifically in terms of weather you know global warming issues and also polarization in society you know people hiding behind their tribal walls, not talking to one another, not trying to understand one another. And I decided to step out a little bit of my comfort zone, meaning books about the universe, about particles and quantum physics and stuff like that, to actually write something which is, okay, people, if we don't figure this out together, we're going to be in a very, very big trouble. Right. And as you said in the intro, Rita, it's really a conversation that a lot of people are having everywhere, really, because it matters to everyone. No one is immune to what's going on in the world right now. So and there's so much bad stuff, right? There's so many bad news and so much fear mongering. Right. I mean, the world is going to end. This is going to happen. and you know, it's getting worse and worse. And I wanted to do something completely different. I wanted to actually create a hopeful message to humankind. you know. And, and as the word already says, humankind, there is a way of doing this. And it starts by us understanding who we are in a very, very big context. You know, who are we as human beings in this planet? So the premise of the book is to try to tell the story of who we are And that's where my science comes in, but bringing out as a result of that, that we are actually very, very important in the big scheme of things, not just for life in this planet, but for the universe as a whole. And I can unpack this as we go on talking more.
1: I absolutely love it. I love that you've combined spirituality with science, Um, you know, and throughout this book, um, it, it is a very important conversation. You know, and it's very complex as well, because, I mean, just to kind of play the devil's out, like, just to to kind of highlight the complexity, um, you know, I remember, you know, because I always like to read the comments on social media whenever somebody um, presents a new insight or, you know, in terms of our human behavior, you know, in, in, a, in a micro way, you know, whether that be through dating or meeting new friends or whatever it is, right? Right. Um, You know, people, I always like to read the comments on what people's, you know, take on it or reaction. And and I always get like the, you know, a lot of people are, um, you know, experiencing a lot of self-isolation, right? People are not as connected as they used to be. And there's many reasons for it. You know, you could say the pandemic, but then people have said that prior to the pandemic, we've been going this way. You could say because of technology, because we're so immersed into it, the social media, we feel like we need to always be on it. Even if you're not a business owner, if you're an employee, sometimes you kind of have to have that uh, personal brand to stay employable or to stay on top of your your competitors, which are other employees, right, in the market. So, um, and and then you know, saying that as we, you know, get more competitive as society, as you know, resources become, I guess you could say, more scarce. You know, we see inflation increasing, dah, 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 whatever. So people. F- Feel like there's more of that doggy dog mentality. So they don't want to um you know the, the, the trust factor go goes down right but then again if you look at another point of it is like well if you're gonna focus on that then you're that's what you're gonna get right that there are still good people out there you just need to be more mindful. Um so because it's to me it's like you yeah it's all about increasing that mindfulness and you know be aware of all factors at play but, you know, put your focus on solutions like you have, like by writing this book. And so can you touch upon like, where should, how, where should be, how do we get to a solution as we kind of evolve, you know, through like right now, we've, you see the advent of AI, like as we're, evol- we're evolving through technology, we're, we call it progress. Um, so what what's the solution here? Which should, should we like? I don't know. What's
2: the... <laughs> uh, so okay? So let's 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 go by parts. It's a big big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one, the problem, right? Where is the problem coming from, right? And if you look at the history of civilization, okay. So look at our history, and and I'm going to be very big on big ideas here. You know, human beings. We have been around this planet for about 300,000 years, okay? And if you look at the whole history of our planet, it's four and a half billion years, which basically means this, if you would compress the history of the earth, of the whole planet into a day, into 24 hours, we humans would show up a few seconds before midnight, meaning we just arrived. But look, you know, so the earth has been around for a real long time, and we just arrived, but look what has happened here. So, three hundred thousand years, most of that time, we were just running around as hunter-gatherers, you know, getting food in nomadic groups, etc. There were the Neanderthals. There was some combat, some problems there, but there were also some combinations. We all have Neanderthal genes, which means we mated, you know, and all that stuff. Um, but about ten thousand years ago, or so someone decided that the earth, this piece of earth is mine. You know, this is my property now. And if you wanna come here, you need my permission. And if I don't give you permission, you are trespassing. And if you're trespassing, I can respond with violence to your trespassing. And if you want stuff that I make here, I can trade with you or I can sell stuff to you. So suddenly this is a very fundamental shift. And that's why I want to kind of talk to you and your listeners about this, because the shift is this, before Earth, the planet, life on the planet was sacred. Those people that our ancestors, okay, that came way before this agrarian civilization, okay, that came way before this agrarian civilization, so before 10,000 years ago, they understood that they depended in a very, very fundamental way on what the planet gave them. They gave them, you know, the planet gave them food, gave them water. And yes, there were also storms and hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanoes. But there was a very fundamental dependence and respect from our ancestors to the planet. And lots and lots of pretty much most indigenous cultures have understood this forever. right? They know that the earth is sacred and they respect it. Now what has happened with the agrarian shift the one I was talking about is that once the earth became a piece of something a piece of something I can buy and I can sell it lost its sacred notion right it lost its sacred kind of dimension it became something a thing and lower you know fast forward You move on, you have the birth of science in the 1600s with Galileo and Newton, et cetera, and industrialization follows. And what has happened is that the gradual advancement of our technology uh, happened hand in hand with this, what I'm calling the desacralization of nature, meaning earth really became just a thing that you could use. You could cut forests. you could burn fuel. It didn't matter as long as it fed our need for progress as a word to just use for growth. And this has worked great. Look at what happened in you know, all the world, the world became enormous. We, uh, in terms of our presence in it, we have learned to use nature to our own benefit. we built all sorts of goods, You know, we created machines, we created comfort, we created goods that we buy and sell and we love and we covet that, but there is a price. And the price for this growth is that the earth, even though it's very big, is a finite planet. And because it's a finite planet, it can only give us so much. And we cannot just take, take and take without expecting that at some point we're going to have to pay the bill. And the point is that the 21st century is the century where we are beginning to pay the bill. you know, Because what has sustained our growth of as a civilization is that the picture is kind of dramatic, and it's true. We have essentially eaten up the insides of our planet, like the oil, the gas, the coal. This is coming from underground, in fact, from life, from... Life that existed a long time ago, that's where all this stuff comes from. So we have eaten all that to sustain life up here, our civilization, right? The problem is that all this industrialization and all the growth threw out a ton of stuff into the environment that we have to deal with. And what has happened now, and this is the point that I, there are many points in the book, but one of the points (laughs) that I'm in the book is that... um, if we want to continue with what I call a project or civilization, meaning continue to exist and coexist in this planet, we have to move from having too much to understanding cooperation with each other and with the planet in a completely different scale than has happened. So different kinds of economic thinking, not just take, 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 build, 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 eat, 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 eat. eat. What are you eating? What kind of fuel are you using? How do you relate to nature? This kind of mentality that has driven the growth of industrialization has come to an end, must come to an end. And so it's time for a new way of dealing with who we are and how we relate to our planet and to all kinds of life in it. And that's really what the book is about. Mm. Now you ask them about what is the solution? <clears throat> So what has been happening with the media and stuff is that is the is the fear thing, right? I mean, look what's going on. Global warming, we're going to cook alive, and and this is going to happen. And, and the oceans are going to invade, you know, the coastal areas. So all the people from Miami and from New York are going to go inside if you're in the United States, you know, inwards. So if you live in the countryside, be careful because you're Property is going to be invaded by all these New Yorkers, wherever it is that you're living. And so the point is that fear, fear, this kind of fear just does not work. People are not changing the way they relate to each other and to the world and how they eat and how they use energy, how they use water by being scared of this future. Mm-hmm. So if that doesn't work, what does work? Right. And that's the billion dollar question and that's really what this book is about and what i say in this book essentially is this what works is a rethinking of our relationship to the planet so we go back to the past to reinvent our future right we go back to the past in the sense of look how those communities lived in harmony with the world you know there's a famous saying from a, from an Indian uh, Native uh, American chief that says, "How can you trust a man that spits on its own on his own mother?" Right, the white man spitting on you know spitting on the ground. How can you do that? This is your mother. That's where everything comes from. Mm-hmm. And so we have to do that, but in a modern way, right? We have to think of this in a modern setting. And in order to do that, we have to understand who we are. And that's where the book goes real big, because I say, okay, we live in a planet, planet Earth that has life, exuberant, beautiful, mind-blowing, spectacular life, right? Every niche, everywhere you go, there's something growing, which is remarkable. Then you go and look at the moon, nothing. You go look at Mars, frozen desert. If people think there is life on Mars, Sorry, you know, there probably isn't at all. And if there is, it's going to be very simple. Look at all the other planets of our solar system, you know, Jupiter, Saturn, Mercury, Venus, nothing. So this planet is an oasis, is a real special place. So this thing about let's save humanity by going to Mars, like the Elon Musk kind of, let's colonize Mars. That is just BS because we don't have the time to do that, this is a project of thousands of years, right? We have issues that we have to deal with in the next decade, two decades, three decades. So understanding that we are the only life form that can tell the story of the universe, that can tell the story of who we are, that can ask questions about existence, that worry about frivolous things and magnificent things, right, I mean, well, how do I look today? Oh, not too good. What is the meaning of life? How can I change the way I relate to other people? We can do this. No other species can do this. I mean, cats and dogs are awesome. My dog is a genius, but they don't (laughs) write poetry and they don't build radio telescopes. They don't go flying rocket ships abroad outside the atmosphere. So there is something about us. And in a sense, the dawn of the mindful universe is really the dawn of the human species. Because once we emerged, once we appear in this world, the universe became able to tell its own story. So we are the voice of the cosmos. We are telling how, how things happen. That's what I've done all my life. I worked on Big Bang and black holes and all that stuff. Those those theories are the theories that tell the history of the universe through our voice. So instead of thinking of us as enemies of the universe, enemies of the planet. We are actually much more than that. You know, we are the only way this story can go on. If we disappear, as far as we know, could there be other life forms out there? For sure. Could there be even more intelligent life forms out there? Possibly. But the point is we have never seen them. Unfortunately, folks, they have never come here. They did not build the pyramids of Egypt. And what happens is that that story doesn't make us less, it makes us more. Because that means we're really important. We're really a significant presence in this universe. And because of that, we have a moral imperative of protecting this oasis of life, our home. You know, we have to re-sacralize the planet. We have to go out into the world and celebrate the ability that this planet has to keep us alive. Because if this planet get messed up, we depend on it. The planet will go on. It's been going on for 4 billion years. We haven't. We need the temperature to be within a certain, right? Like right now, I'm speaking from my house in Tuscany and it's been like 95 degrees, 93, Today is a little better super hot if it gets to 100 look at phoenix you know people literally cook so we can only survive in a very narrow environment and if we mess this up what are we going to do so we have to rethink our cosmic importance our planetary importance our tribal separation you know because once i become member of a tribe and i'm not talking about indigenous tribes i'm talking about The church that I go, if you don't come to the church that I go, then you're a bad person. Only the people in my church are good. Only the people in my political party are good. Only the people that have the same color of skin is good. That I have is good. Those tribalisms, those ideas of who we are, have to all go away because what we are is a single species. We are the humans that live in this planet. So that's kind of the argument that I build very carefully in this book. What are we going to do? So we have to rethink our cosmic importance, our planetary importance, our tribal separation, you know, because once I become member of a tribe, and I'm not talking about indigenous tribes, I'm talking about the church that I go. If you don't come to the church that I go, then you're a bad person. Only the people in my church are good. Only the people in my political party are good. Only the people that Have the same color of skin is good, that I have is good. Those tribalisms, those ideas of who we are, have to all go away because what we are is a single species. We are the humans that live in this planet. So that's kind of the argument that I build very carefully in this book.
1: That is brilliant. I absolutely love that. And I think we can all agree about the tribalisms. I mean, we've this is my kind of take on it. Uh, I love the fact you brought up history. Um, and, you know, we could all like we've all experienced the consequences of that tribe tribal thinking like, you know, oh, you know, if I belong to this, political, you belong to that political party. We're both good if whoever doesn't agree It is like, you know, like you're so much um, hateful energy or fear if somebody kind of disagrees with you because people have uh, associated their identity so much to um, the particular thought they have or how they see the world. Um, Kind of like it's like they if someone goes, does it disagrees with you, it kind of like diminishes their voice. A lot of factors as to what kind of triggers that, you know, anger uh, fearful energy, a lot of factors, right? Mainly fear based. Um, I think, so I think we, I think we've experienced and saw that in the world in a very traumatic way and starting in 2020 and kind of moving onward from that. My take on it is like bringing history into the fold. Um, if we do look at history, um, you know, you mentioned we were hunters and gatherers, you know, and, you know, I feel like if we look at that and as we see the progression, just not in terms of technology, but just in terms of our biology, we have evolved our, in, in a biology sense. We never had a prefrontal cortex before, right? And I feel like, um, I feel like, you know, what's happening right now is I think all the stuff that um, we've been coexisting with, in terms of our psyche as a collective and individualistic, is coming to the surface. Um, you know, so that we can look at it and say, "This is no good." Like we we need to kind of wash this away, right? Like you mentioned, tribalistic thinking that contributes to us not living cohesively and creates a lot of conflict and fear-based thinking that can lead to all sorts of uh, deceitful behaviors, either deceiving ourselves and deceiving others either that be intentionally or unintentionally, you know, based on fear. Um, I think that, you know, that this may be a motivation for us, like as we look around and ha- like basically all the triggering from things that we're seeing go wrong in the planet, um, may, you know, eventually we'll all kind of Hopefully, little leaders and stuff will start to come together and, you know, try to help recondition everybody to kind of think in a more way where we respect nature. Like you said, like the solutions you said, like to kind of like um, not be so individualistic and not be so clicky. Um I think that's kind of my take on when I look at history and, and seeing what's happening right now, that I think that naturally at some point we, we're going to have to, I think we're going to face, you know, like I think as human beings, I think that we will um, evolve.
2: Uh, yeah. That's For... the optimistic take. That's the good take, you know, that we, <laughs> we we will because we need to, we have to, right. Just, just look at the numbers, okay? 100 years ago, there were 2 billion humans in this planet. Now there are eight. In 100 years, we quadrupled the population of the planet, right? And that's a lot of people that need to eat, they need energy, they need medicine, they need comfort. And one of the good things about technology and science is, and, and capitalism is that it does provide the means for this to happen. And people live much better now and much longer because life expectancy 100 years ago was also on average about 45 years or so. Now it's 75, 80 sometimes in other countries, some even 85. So good stuff has happened, right? Which is wonderful. And that's where you celebrate scientific achievement and technological development all that good stuff. But we also have to understand that that is not enough to sustain who we are. That is a part of the equation. And it cannot be the only part of the equation. We need more than that. And and going back to a point of tribalism that is important is that why do people do it? Because everybody needs to belong, right? We all need to have a, a feeling of I belong to this group. There are people that think like me. There are people that respect me. I, I hear in this place, I can live with dignity, which is wonderful, right? And the only problem is that the same way that this tribal uh, mentality embraces people, it also pushes the others, with, you know, others, right, out. The ones that do not share the same way of thinking or, or the, the same worldviews or values, etc. And what's missing with all this is a vision that goes beyond these differences, which is, look, for the first time in our history, and this is a big deal, we actually need to work together in order to save us all. You know, we need to. So it doesn't matter what you believe in, what who do you vote for, where do you go dancing? what You know, it, this is not the point. This is all good. You go do your thing. But beyond all of that, there is something that unites us all, which is the need for surviving in a planet that is thriving because a sick planet cannot have... Healthy people. It's that simple, right? Look at the skies of New York because of the fires in Nova Scotia, right? I mean, so you there is no bubble. You cannot hide yourself in a bubble and say, this will not affect me. We are all connected. And this is something the pandemic taught us as well. We are all codependent. We exist because of each other. We need to work together. I mean, if if the First respondents and the people that collect the garbage and they had the energy functioning. If you didn't have energy, if you didn't have food in the supermarkets, you know, sociologists say that in three days, society will unravel. But he didn't. Why? Because we had it. there was a moment that was panic about toilet paper, but you know. <laughs> but but the point is that he it didn't. He it didn't why? Because people work and we depend on those. It doesn't matter if you are a president, if you don't have what to eat you're gonna die just like everybody else. And so this sense of the, I call it the human hive, you know, learn from the bees, you know, working together for the common good. And this to me is the new age, you know, the age that is going to be the new age. And this kind of spiritual reawakening has nothing to do with a specific denomination. It really is kind of a secular non-denominational way of embracing life and the connection that we have with other people, With an open heart and an open mind as opposed to judgments and criticisms and negativity we say folks even if you don't think like me we are all in the end we are all humans we are all in the same planet and we need to be together in order to go ahead it's not the war against country a against country b this is us together in a much much bigger problem which is let's save what i call the life collective you know and i call this idea biocentrism you know like it is really about celebrating a planet that is such an amazing place you know this that has given us so much and so instead of destroying it it's kind of like once you realize you have a jewel in your hand you treat it with respect And that's exactly what we need to do. So how do you do that? So at the very end of the book, because I say it's a manifesto, I have a bunch of action items. Because the usual approach that people have is that, you know what, I'm too small. I'm just a person. I don't make a difference. This is really a political problem. It's the big corporations and blah, blah, blah. So I won't do anything. And that kind of approach, that kind of attitude is just not right. You know, it's, it's the wrong word because every month counts because you make choices. You make choices of how you live, how you eat, how you use water, how you use energy, how you relate to people around you. And as you make choices, which are more biocentric, in meaning not don't have to become vegan, but you could eat less meat. You don't need to eat meat 14 times a week. Just cut it by half. You know, you don't need to take very long showers all the time. You don't need to use V8 cars unless they are needed for your work. You know, there are small choices we can make that will make a difference. And my hope is that the new generation, they already get it, right? Because they know that this is their mass, right? So and you're there. I mean, you you look much younger than I am. So <laughs> definitely there. And so the point is, we need to awaken to this new way of being a human in this planet, right? And it's involves some sacrifice. Of course it does, right? I mean, yes, I love my barbecue. Okay, so have it once a month. You know, I love this and that. Great, don't have it all the time. Make a small sacrifice so that everyone, including you, your family, your friends, those that you love, people in your tribe, or whatever that is, will all thrive, you know? So that's the new way of looking at things. So I have a whole list of, this is what you can do in order to make a difference. And there is more, here's one more, another one which I think is important, which is this, as a consumer, you have choices. You can choose to buy from company A, and not from company B, if company B has a predatory relationship to the environment, or if it's using, you know, semi-slave work from Sri Lanka, from wherever. So who you buy from, tells a lot about, you know, and that's something very important that people should internalize, right? Am I going to save $3? Yeah, sometimes that's important and that's a different conversation. But if you, do have the choice, buy smartly, because very simple principle of economics, companies that lose customers reframe their way of thinking in order to get customers. Uh, even, even a Burger King is selling vegan burgers now, right? So what's going on? How is that even possible? It's possible, right? Because some people said, you know, it's time to get vegan burgers on these uh joints you know these places so the consumer you as a consumer you do have much more power than you think right and the more people think that way the more the companies are forced to change and this is a big emerging idea called corporate ethics and corp b B corporations which are corporations they have an environmental code of behavior which is exemplary right so they do the right thing right in terms of how much energy they use, et cetera, et cetera. So we can do this, you know, and it's easier than I think it is. Is it too late? I don't think so. Because once we change our mindset, the planet is very generous. It's been very generous for many years. And I think it will be again, but we need to get going.
1: I totally, I totally agree. I love that. And we, we yeah, like you said, we are already seeing companies um, putting in that social responsibility um and they're using it as a, a way to advertise to garner more market share so we are seeing this emerging so which is great um i love the fact that you know we need to understand who we are and this is i feel like it's a question that's been asked for so like from like plato and socrates like i think therefore i am does your book explore that question
2: yes this one and other books of mine as well and in fact that I have a new one I'm working on, which is our quest for meaning, which is very much about this question, right? But in the conversation that we are having right now, in terms of the planetary future and our future, I think the best thing that we can do is to live a life with a sense of mission. You know, you got to wake up every day saying, wow, what a privilege it is to have another day to live. What am I going to do with my time here? You know, what kind of actions and choices can I make in order to make my life and that of people around me a better life? And this sort of sense of purpose and choice is essential for well-being, you know, because it's really not about what you get for yourself, but what you give to others. And and, and by doing that, you grow as a person, you grow as a human being, and it's contagious. Right, because it's so much better to give. Right, when I mean, you see it, when you give, the person receiving it, you know, is touched by your gesture, and that give can be to a person, to a community, to the planet as well. So every time you plant a tree, you are giving to us, but you're also giving to the planet. Right, every time you go for a hike. And you look up from the top of a mountain and say, damn, this is really spectacular. And you have this sense of awe that comes from knowing that you're part of something which is much bigger than you are. You're growing as a human being. And I think those actions are not that difficult. If you live in a big city that doesn't have a mountain to hike and you can't get to the mountain, to give, right? When you see it, when you give, the person receiving it, you know, is touched by a gesture. And that give can be to a person, to a community, to the planet as well. So every time you plant a tree, you're giving to us, but you're also giving to the planet, right? Every time you go for a hike and you look up from the top of a mountain and say, damn, this is really spectacular. And you have this sense of awe that comes from, knowing that you're part of something which is much bigger than you are you're growing as a human being and i think those actions are not that difficult if you live in a big city that doesn't have a mountain to hike and you can't get to the mountain go to a park sit under a tree and just listen to the birds and look at the clouds you know going by the sky connect yourself with your natural essence you know of who you are as a human animal because we are all animals right i mean we ask we do all these other things which we've been talking about but in the essence we came from the earth that's why human is humus which means earth that's what we are and so reconnect with our roots you know where we came from and i promise you that if you do this consistently just a little bit you'll your worldview, your mindset, is going to start changing big time. And what was once something that you didn't care so much about, becomes bigger and bigger apart. And and more than that, not just bigger, it becomes really a part of who you are, a part of your identity. Like I am because of the world out there and I cannot separate myself from the world because, hey, you, you breathe, right? The air that you're breathing is essential for you to be alive. But you know what? It's not you. But without it, you can't survive. So it is you. And that kind of connectivity. So the air you breathe is part of who you are. The food you eat becomes part of who you are. And so there is an interconnected, connectedness. What Dick Han said, interbeing. You know, you only exist because everything else around you is existing as well. And this sort of understanding, boy, if you don't get emotional or excited or spiritual or connected or wanting more of that, once you practice it, because some people may be so far away from this that they have forgotten that they have this, but tease yourself to kind of go out there and be in nature. And you're gonna see that you're gonna have that seed is in there. It just needs to be nurtured in order to become bigger. And once you do, I think you look at the world in a different way.
1: Awesome. I love that. And also, too, you know, in this, and I think most people can relate to this, is that, you know, when you, when you, however we behave, um, it influences the people around us. You know, I've, so it, there is a domino effect to it, even though people just say, oh, I'm just one person. Yeah. But, you know, people, when you're feeling more happier, you have a glow and you're, people like, Recognize that, like, what are you doing that was different? And they, you know, because it feels good to behave that way. And you, because you're getting that sense of purpose. And because, you know, this is this is a conversation that's being had probably in every single dinner table across the world. Um, so, you know, um, and in homes. So this is probably a really good book to propose if, if you're in a book club. Or maybe just make, you know, turn, turn your, your, your family room um, or your dinner table into a book club by purchasing this book and having, you know, everyone read it and discuss it at the dinner table, you know, instead of, um, you know, cause it gets people so fired up, you know, right. Cause yeah. due to fear, right. People get fired up. So where if you focus on this book, it, provides solutions and kind of explains the complexities to how we got here. So you have a better understanding to the solutions. So definitely, you know, if you get, if you want to like eradicate the tension in these conversations, just kind of make a book club at home and have everybody read the book and discuss it. You know, <laughs> I think it's a, I think everyone, this should be an every, this book should be on everybody's book club list. Um. And also too, I just want to bring one really cool point and you probably are well aware of this. Um, You know, one thing that comes from science that, you know, um, I think is really, really cool. And it does kind of relate to this uh, topic um, is that, you know, um, I think scientists have revealed that when whoever's the observer, um, whatever particle they're looking at, the particle changes according to who the
2: observer is.
1: Am I getting that right?
2: More or less. I, I can refine <laughs> it. Where
1: <I, laughs> okay. do want to get
2: with that? Yeah.
1: I'm yeah. going with that is like if we change our mindsets as a collective, mm-hmm. um, the particles will change around us. Mm-hmm. Am I getting this correctly or am I completely off? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think that um I love the I love the the passion of the argument. So to a certain extent, yes, that's right. So when you look, and not not when you look at a tree, you know, although you could kind of like poetically say, when you look at a tree, the tree looks back at you and the two of you will never be the same again because now the tree is part of who you are and possibly you are part of who the tree is as well, right? So there is that, I mean, I'm a different person now because I've met Rita, you know, before I didn't know Rita, and now I do know her. And there is a change that is always going on because of the way we interact with everything, right? And so what you talk about is, is really related to quantum physics, the idea that it's the observer effect, right? The sense that when I'm studying a physical system, I don't want to get technical at all, but an electron or an atom the way I look or the way I prepare my experiment will affect the behavior of that atom. So does that mean that me and the atom become a single thing and we cannot really separate one from the other? Well, there is a word for that, it's called entanglement. So you become entangled, which is kind of a, a beautiful word um, with what you're observing, and. You can't really very easily extract that concept from little things like atoms and particles to trees and people, but you can using you know a more lyrical way of thinking about everything. And the lyrical way is just like we affect the behavior of little particles, we also affect the behavior of everything that is around us, right? And everything that is around us affects our behavior as well. So the way you deal with the world is going to attract a way of the world dealing with you. So if you always are dealing with people in a combative, aggressive way, guess what? You're going to get the same crap back. So if you direct your gaze to people and to the world in a more generous, more open, more kind way, you will get that back from others as well. And yes, sometimes it misfires, yes, of course, because statistically, it's always gonna be that case. There's always gonna be the odd person out that is gonna just be a mean person and does not want to relate to that. But as a whole, it's guaranteed that a more generous outlook into the world would bring you back a more generous life, a more kind life, a more way, a more a more gentle way of living, you know, within yourself and in relation to others. So the observer effect really is about everything that we do affects the things that we are doing with, dealing with. So having a conversation, planting a tree, taking a walk, writing a poem, Mm -hmm. writing a spreadsheet. So everything that you're doing will affect So your attitude is really the thing you can control, right? I mean, you're stuck in traffic, just give a very mundane example, which really sucks, right? But so what do you do? You can curse everybody and blow your horn and do all sorts of bad things. Or you can listen to a podcast like this one, you know, and actually use that time, not as dead time, but as growing time. And that is something you do have control over so this is something that the greek the stoics the philosophers used to say that you know bad stuff happens and you do not sometimes have control over that but you do have control over how you react to the bad stuff to a certain extent right so don't curse when you're so stuck in traffic but try to do something creative with your time in there because in a sense wow what a privilege i actually don't have to do anything because i'm stuck here what can i do i can listen to a new book you know whatever <laughs> a podcast, instead of cursing people around me so that's a better way of living i think and of course in this book it's really about living as a human in a planet that completely determines our future and our life as you've seen it i mean where where did the pandemic come from what about the heat waves i mean we are completely dependent on the environment that we exist. And we have to understand we are not above nature. We are part of nature, very much so. You know, There is no way above anything. We're just codependent on this whole big chain of life. So let's be smart about this.
1: I think that was a very, very profound statement. It's important to remember that we're not above nature. We're a part of nature. I think that is something that really should we all should remember that and that's a very profound understanding that we all like really need to kind of cultivate into the mainstream collective consciousness is that we're not above nature um and i think the way we have been living with the way we've um you know progressed with technology and create invent all this uh, technology that kind of amazes us it's you know covertly we can easily fall into that thinking that we are above nature right just due to all the stuff that we've invented and created through technology um but you know that's kind of an illusion when you read your book and look at the greater scheme of things is that technology you know your phone, you can't eat your phone. (laughs) You know, you can't, we can't eat this phone. It's not going to give us nourishment, nutrition, you know what I mean? Um, It can appeal to our ego. It's definitely like a very ego boosting, you know, with the social media and the selfies and whatever, Um, you know, from how society has defined our value covertly, through these mechanisms. So anywho I can go on and talk to you forever about this. So I highly encourage everyone to buy the book The Dawn of a Mindful Universe by Marcelo Glieser. Um, and you can purchase it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, basically any bookstore. Um, and if you want to learn more about Mar- Mar- Marcelo, you can go to his website is it marcelogleer.com. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. The cool. link will be in the show notes. And can they purchase the book through your website?
2: Uh, probably not. No, I think okay. just through the channel channels, like commercial channels. Yeah, or through the publisher, Harper Collins.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the book publisher is Harper Collins. Um, I think they're called Harper One now, formerly HarperCollins. Harper
2: Collins. Yeah. No, it's just uh, Harper One is one of the branches of the Harper So Harper uh, One is. It's just like publishing houses are so big they have many different labels within so they're all part of HarperCollins. but it's called harper one you're right
1: okay <laughs> all right so guys i hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as i did thank you so much marciello for showing up and contributing to this conversation and reading the book i mean yeah. amazing book and amazing mm-hmm. insights so, have a wonderful, wonderful day, guys. And by the book, Dawn, The Dawn of a Mindful Universe. Any closing words? Did you want to say anything? Any closing words, Marcelo? before I.
2: Yeah, I just want to say that, first of all, thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this. And really do take this idea of us being part of nature and that the future of our collective existence depends on our understanding of this. I mean, this is really my mission. I talked about waking up with a sense of mission. Mine is to make sure people are aware of how fundamental this different mindset is.
1: Okay. Awesome. Love it. All right, guys, remember to live happy being well. And if you haven't subscribed, subscribe to the happy being well podcast until next time.
0: If you learned something new or were inspired to live happy being well, please be sure to subscribe to the Happy Being Well podcast so you don't miss an upcoming episode. Also, please feel free to leave a five star review, including what you learned or what inspired you in today's episode. This podcast is presented by happybeingwell.com, your online store for natural wellness products so you can live happy being well. Order your next all-natural essential oil, all-natural face mask, all-natural bath soap, all-natural deodorant, herbal tea, crystals, including crystal home decor and kitchen items, irresistible leggings, and much more at happybeingwell.com. Free shipping on all orders within the USA.